0: 1957. That was a good year. Raise your hand if you were around in 1957. All right, there's a few of you. All right. I have to be honest with you, the only thing I really know about 1957 is that Eisenhower was around and that the 57 Chevy was around. Other than that, it's all kind of hearsay at this point. Um, some of you are aware of what's going on in that world. Uh, but. Edward, the Duke of Windsor, Edward VII, said this, said, the thing that impresses me most about America, do you know, have you seen this before, heard this before? The thing that impresses me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. (laughs) And I don't know the difference between 1957 and 2007 or 2017, but I have a feeling that it's even more exacerbated than it was then at that point. So uh, if we think about that and we look at that, so if you don't know who Edward was, I saw this because I saw the movie King's Speech. Is the only reason why I knew this, uh, but it actually happened in real life. He, the irony that he would say that in 1957 when in 1936 he acted like a child to say the least. He was in line for the throne. He actually was king in England for about a year's time and he abdicated his crown, because he wanted to marry a girl from the United States who was uh, divorced already. And his parents said, no, you can't do that. Uh, You cannot do that and be king. And a year later, he dumped the crown so that he could marry this girl uh, rather than be king. Uh, That was his childish behavior. And then for him to say this again uh, 20 years later, the things that impressed me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. You see. You're the parent and in the biblical order of things, the way that the Bible reads is parents obey your children. No, that's not the way that it works, it's the opposite, children obey your parents. So that's our starting point this morning but to kind of uh, be interactive with you today, we're gonna do something uh, a little out of the ordinary. So if you can imagine with me that there's a line going right down the center of the room right here uh, because 1957, camp ministry, thanks for moving over Hector, that was perfect. (laughs) It's like, I don't want to be on that side of the line. (laughs) Have you seen the people on that side of the line? Yeah. So camp ministry was starting to really boom in the United States. So we're going to start this morning with a camp song uh, to get ourselves uh, warmed up for the message this morning. So on this side, when we get there, you will be the O's and you will be the B's. And the song is called Obedience. Does anyone know where I'm going with this? We go, Obedience is the very best way. To show that you believe, You're doing exactly what the Lord commands, You're doing it happily, action is the key, do it obediently, joy you will receive, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, the side goes O, O, E, I, N, E, obedience is the very best way show that you believe. I really expected that to go better. (laughs) So if, if you were not tracking me at all, that's because you're not one of those weird church people who know all those songs from that time frame. But some of you were right with me. You were like chanting, you're right there. But honestly, I did expect a little more enthusiasm. So next time, next time you can jump right in. And, and we'll take it from there. If you have your Bibles this morning, turns to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to be talking about obedience today. Uh, we're in a series called Better Together where we're looking at what it really means to be the body of Christ. We have a responsibility for making disciples of all nations and to be a heritage of faith for the next generation, the generation after that, and the generation after that. We raise young men and we raise young women towards God's idea of what young men and young women should be. And as we're going to see here in Scripture, obedience is part of that. But it doesn't start in the home necessarily because it has to start before that. It has to start with where we were last week. It has to start with husbands and wives and mothers and fathers who love each other dearly and submit one to another and take care of each other in a way that respects one another. He loves her as Christ loves the church. And she loves him and serves him as the church and as our Lord Jesus Christ loves his church and as we love him. All those things set the stage today of where we're going uh, and and where we're going with this passage. And I know that as we're going to discuss families, there's going to be three reactions before we even come out of the gate. As I'm talking and kind of setting the precedent of where we're going today, there's kind of three reactions that come through there. The first one is this. As we talk about families, uh, we're sitting amongst a room that has adults. Last week I asked uh, if you were single to stand up. I won't ask you to do that this week. But there are people in this room that don't have kids. And so when we talk about family, they're saying, well, how does that connect to me? Or there's people in this room who no longer have the kids in the home and they're seniors and they're in a different phase of life, and how does this connect? It'd be very easy for you to kind of look at today's message and kind of check out and say, well, this is good for those people to hear this message today. I'm glad they were here. I wish that my friend was here this morning. I want to strongly encourage you not to check out. Don't check out on us this morning because there's something for you today. This message in this series connects to you as well. Uh, there's a responsibility we have in the church. Um, old men are supposed to bring young men along. Fathers are supposed to bring their sons along. Uh, some of you commented this morning, I'm wearing a bow tie. And someone asked me, hey, did your dad teach you how to, how to tie that tie? And I was and no, I, it was a YouTube video actually. And... Um, so I can't give Dad credit for that, but there are a few things, uh, a number of things, I give my Dad credit for as well. Titus two has an explanation for this uh, for the next generation: as older women should be developing and should care for younger women. Now I know that there is no older women in this room, um, but chronologically, theoretically, there are some of you who have a, little, a few more days in the bank maybe than uh, some of the other ladies in the room. And, and so men and women, the same thing, that there's this pouring into the next generation. And so if, if you don't have any children at home, this message is still very much for you. So that's the first group. Secondly, there's another group of people who feels marginalized. Anytime that family is brought up, they feel marginalized because they come from a different type of distress in their home or in your home. You're coming from a different uh, place than maybe where this message might typically go. Let me n- name off a few of these. There are definitely children and stepchildren that creates a special dynamic in the home. There are families who are waiting for adoption or waiting for a biological birth. They're just waiting and they're in this kind of uh, time frame where they're just not sure what's next and what's going to happen. There are parents who are in-laws and there are parents who have outlaws. Uh, That's real. Like we got to acknowledge that, that as we talk about parenting, there are some of you that can't really think through this generational cycle. You are the generation there are families where there's only one believer in the whole extended family. And it's the responsibility of you to live out the gospel, not just for your children, but for the entire extended family. Because this is the only way that Christ is going to shine in that area. To live out, to share, to teach, to serve them, to pass the gospel on. For those of you who are in that position, I want you to know that we as a church pray for you. We, we want to wrap our arms around. This is your family here. Uh, some of us don't come from that background. It's a very difficult spot to be in. So we long to be able to be your support, very much like Nan was just up here talking about foster care. We need to be there for support for you in that scenario, to be able to say, okay, you're the only gospel presence, you're the only light in that area, how can we support you in that? And then there's family who are full of believers. The Whole extended family is, is uh, at least on paper, looks as though it has Christ followers uh, throughout the family, and yet there's your son or your daughter is on the run. And, and they are running far from God. And you're looking around, you're saying, what, what did we do wrong? Or what, what could we do? Or what am I supposed to do now? And it seems like they're running from God at a breakneck speed. What could I do different? So I want to call each of you today to be able to look, no matter what your situation is, that we serve a God who is not limited in any way to the situation that you're in. He's not limited by the fact that you don't have any children. He's not limited by the fact that you've been waiting for years to have a child. He's not limited by the fact that the foster care system says that you have to raise children in a certain way. That doesn't limit God. There's some things that we need to talk through today He's calling us to deal with that in Scripture gives us a foundation to work from. And then thirdly, there's a third reaction, and and there may be some of you here today that often seek to speak into what we call the family and they start to pull apart and redesign what the family actually is. And so we kind of need to come from that perspective to look at the world that we live in and say, there are some people that are gonna come through and say, well, this, you're defining a family in this narrow sense, but there's all these other ways that we could define family. So I wanna de- de- determine that today. We are primarily concerned with what God has to say about a family as he describes it in God's word. So when a man and a woman, they marry and they determine that they're going to have children together and raise them together in one home, and that includes all their children, their, their blood, but yes, their adopted children as well. We see that in Scripture as well, that how they're going to raise that family. And we will stand with God in that to say, this is how God designed the family to be, and this is how we're going to support it, and this is what He's designed it to be, and so we're going to put all of our eggs in that basket of this is what God has intended. And we understand that that's different than culture. The body of Christ should be different than culture. Now, that doesn't make us exclusive in nature. That means that there are those reactions are present to where the scripture is going to take us today. But I think we just need to lay that as a baseline so that we're talking about the same things. Because sometimes when we come into a conversation like this, we miss the point that, that you and I may not be talking about the same thing. And Paul is dealing very specifically with how the family is to interact with each other. So I want you to look there today. I want to set that stage. I want to see that biblical framework from where we're starting from. and Then I want to ask this question, because many of you here saying today, and I, I'm one of you, you'll have to admit that there are some things, if you could go back and change, either about how you and your family has conducted themselves, and or how your parents and that family uh, extended, I would go back right now and change this thing. There's got to be some things that you say, I go back and change this if I could. If you're with me, in my situation there's a variety of things uh, that I would go back and adjust. If you just change one thing uh, uh, what would you do and how would you change that and what would it be about? See families deal with this all the time and think through this and sometimes when that day is done you can't go back and, and readjust what you said or you can't, you can't undo that decision of what you decided to step away from or where you decided not to engage. You, you can't go back and undo that, and you want to change it. So you know where our only hope is, and this is where we're going today, is the gospel. The gospel changes everything. And if we get caught thinking that we have the power to change anything, the gospel is what is going to change where we're headed. And so the opening question that I'm going to ask this morning is, what is my motivation for obedience in key relationships? What is my motivation for obedience and key relationships? If you're working along with us in your bulletins, we have this in your bulletin and there's some fill in the blanks and those type of things. This is the beginning question. Spoiler alert, it's the gospel. (laughs) That's where we're going. What is my motivation for obedience? Why would we obey? It's the gospel. And you're going to see it's demonstrated here. The gospel penetrates all of our key relationships. So let's get started. The gospel does this first. It motivates children to honoring obedience. It motivates children to honoring obedience. If you're in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 1. You can use your uh, mobile device if you'd like, or there's Bibles in the pews in front of you. I'm teaching from the New International today, New International Version. It starts in in chapter 6, verse 1 of honoring obedience. So when we talk about honoring obedience, it's the difference between, what's the difference between obedience and honoring obedience? We'll get to the scripture in a second. I want to kind of set the difference between honoring obedience is is actually wanting to obey rather than having to obey. Uh, As a a boy, a young man, there there comes a a point in every boy's life uh, when they look at their dad and they go, I think I can take him. Now it doesn't start... Initially, when you get to that point, you go, "I, today, I think today's the day." And, Dad, it's your responsibility is to make sure that that never happens. I, I'm not going back. I'm not going back 20 years or 15 years. I'm going back about two and a half years ago, that I was visiting my parents for Christmas, and my dad kind of shoved me around in the kitchen, and before I knew it. He tackled me, slammed me to the ground in the kitchen and just rolled his elbow into my chest just to make sure that I knew (laughs) today's not the day that you can take me. I said, dad, like if I knew that we were fighting or if I knew we were wrestling around, like, like I'm, it hurt. (laughs) Then I could have fought back and he said, oh, no, the older you get, the dirtier you fight. And that's exactly what he did. He, he dropped me, and I couldn't move the rest of the, Like Christmas, I'm hobbling around. He just wanted to let me know I'm still your dad, and I can still take you. And I'm still afraid to go into that kitchen at Christmas time <laughs> alone with my dad. There comes a point there. But see, there, there is a point at some point where obedience no longer becomes, like I've got a two-year-old right now and I need to put his pants on in the morning. I can physically, to some extent, cram him into those pants whether he wants to wear them or not. And it's a, a, a circus. It's a zoo to try. Like you get one leg in and he's got the other leg coming out and all, like, it's this wrestling match. But if you're doing that with an 18-year-old, it's going to be a mess. At some point, obedience starts to look different. Honoring obedience is obedience that wants to obey, not obedience that has to obey. So that's a framework. Let's get started. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3. So that it may go well with you. This is the promise. And that may you enjoy a long life on the earth. Realizing that the way you obey really determines whether you honor or not. The way you obey determines whether you honor or not. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. What's the reason? Like, why? Why should I obey? Here's the question, and the answer is because it's right. Scripture says it right there. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, because it's right. Children, obey your parents, for this is Right, the Bible, sometimes people say, is difficult to understand. It's pretty plain right here. Why should I obey my parents? Why should I honor my parents, whether I'm in the home or whether my parents are in a assisted living facility? Why should I honor my parents? Because the, the Bible says it is right. It's right to obey. It is right to honor. But then what is the result? If, if I honor, as the scripture teaches me, what is the result? It says here, that is the promise of what? The uh, first commandment of the promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now, somewhat comically, my dad was trying to show me if I obeyed him, I might live a little bit longer. <laughs> and some of you have used that tactic on your kids as well. But at some point, we start to see behind that that God is teaching. He says, honor your parents and, and you will live a long life and it will go well for you. Because what's the reality of an honoring relationship with your parents is that it is a spirit-filled relationship. The transition for me has been beautiful, to say the least, between being my dad's son that he had to raise and being a close friend and and being able to hear that. And we have a podcast that goes out here from the church if you want to listen to it to hear the messages and that type of thing. And uh, as far as I know, my dad listens and maybe no one else does. But he's going to hear this message this morning. And to be able to say that that transition has happened where dad is in a different spot, that we are now friends, close friends uh, between a father and son. That happens. That's the result of spirit-filled obedience. And that was trained and developed in me. What's my motivation for obedience and key relationships? So first, the gospel motivates children to honoring obedience. The second, the gospel motivates fathers or parents To grace-based leadership. Grace-based leadership. If you're doing the fill-in, I know I didn't give you enough space. Just squeeze it in, all right? Can I be honest with you? I'm not sure in preaching this message, when we put it in the notes and we said, okay, this is where we're going with this chapter, if I shouldn't have deferred today's message to someone who is a grandfather or a great-grandfather when it comes to raising kids. Maybe Pastor Jack Will or someone like who has some time and experience in this to be able to say, this is what parenting really looks like. This is what I've seen. This is how it demonstrates itself. This is how it shows itself. Because I've got a 10-year-old, what do I know about being a parent? This is six or eight years ago. We had two kids at the time. We were going on a hike. We, were, we pulled up into the parking lot. And you know, sometimes you get a park and there's all these cars stuffed in there. And, and as we're trying to get the stuff out of the car, uh, we're trying to go on this hike, but we got too many things in the car. And, and in the top of the car, kind of stuck near the top, is this stroller. And so I'm pulling on the stroller, and the kids are screaming, and things are getting aggravated. And Aaron and I, you know may not have been living out what I talked about last week at that moment. And so I took the stroller, I'm trying to pull it out, and eventually I kind of put my foot up on the back of the car pulled the stroller out and then turned and threw it as far as that stroller would spin and fly. It's funny, right? It's not funny. And then I realized that there was a large van parked next to us and there was a whole family, like two cars down. And so then you go on your hike and you're near the top of the area and you see this family. You start to strike up a conversation. I'm telling you, you can't lead at that point with, Hi, I'm Pastor Milo. <laughs> Come to our church. Parenting is difficult. It's a, it's a messy thing at times. And so as I look at that, it, here's another example. Two, two summers ago. We went on a family trip across the country and, and we had our family and all of us in, in a car and we're coming all the way across from California back to, to Buffalo and 4,000 miles that we would be traveling. We were traveling in two cars. My, my sister and brother-in-law were in front of us. Uh, they were moving from California to North Carolina. They had bought a house they had never seen before. They had, you know, closed up shop. They were moving across the country and we were moving with them and they had a six-week-old uh, to start this trip together. About... 24 hours or maybe two days into the trip, our son at that point was just about a year and a half old, and he was losing his mind. He had screamed now for two days straight, you know, and 12 hours in the car, and he had just screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed. And we're following them, and, and they, he, he fell asleep. And then they pulled off into the, the rest area in front of us. And I pulled in behind, and... Uh, and they said, well, our ba- she's been sleeping so long, we thought we should wake her up and feed her. <laughs> I love my sister. I didn't love her at that moment. Um, so, parent, like, so they're working through their struggle, this new six-week-old of how do we raise a kid. And I'm, I'm working through how do I not strangle this kid and throw the kid like I did the stroller previously. And, It's a difficult thing. And so I'm I'm telling you that because I'm coming from a spot of, uh, I don't have this figured out, I have no idea. But I have to come back to Scripture. And you know what the background here is I have to remember? Is that through the Holy Spirit, Paul, who was not married, gave us great counsel on marriage through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, who does not have any kids, writes this and be able to talk through the instruction that needs to be there Because if it's God-ordained, there's a lot there for us to learn. And so if the Apostle Paul can be used in that way, I humbly come to you today to be able to share with you what God's Word has to say on the topic. So here it is, bullseye on your forehead and mine. Fathers, verse 4, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Over in Colossians 3, Paul says in a different way. He says, don't take their hope away that's what he says in Colossians. This is instruction versus exasperation. This is helping them along. This is we can instruct and discipline the nurture of the Lord or we can exasperate and confuse and terrify our kids, dominate, dominate the situation so that we win the struggle or win the battle or win the fight. But when we do that, what happens to us is we exasperate our children and they don't do anything. And I've done that. And look back and I can, I can remember specifically the situations where I've seen the hope in my children's eyes crushed in front of me because of the way that I reacted or responded. You see it crushed and you see that child's, that, that the discipline was either too harsh or, or I was uh, incomplete in how I was in, interacting with them because I just wanted to get back to what I was doing because my own selfish needs. And you see something die in your children's eyes as you look back. Those are the type of things that I would want to change. And you would want to change. Scripture here says, "Don't do that." The gospel motivates parents and fathers to a grace-based leadership. And grace-based leadership in the home is this: in a statement, treating my children with the same grace that God extended to me. Treating my children with the same grace that God has extended to me. Our job is to connect the heart of the child. Our job is to connect to the heart of your child so that they can connect to the heart of God. Grace is the context in which this truth plays out. How do we do that? Well, we have to accept our children, accept them regardless of the merit of the situation. Accepting them. Secondly, serving your child's needs without a sense of obligation. Why? Because that's what God does for you and for me. Joyfully recognizing that your child's God-given potential to do and to develop and what God has created that that little individual to do. Some of you, that little individual is a little bit older, but still knowing and believing that God-given potential is there for who God has created them to be. See, God has that and he demonstrates that in you. Shows himself to you in that way. Why do we struggle so much to show that to our own children? Be a father or be a parent that your children want to follow. Balancing the difference between nurture and discipline. Men, whether or not you are a construction type of person, at some point on Father's Day you will get a level, a balance level that you get. And some of you have, you know, the little one that's a foot long that can't really do anything. And some of you have the 11-foot long one that you can really, you could balance this whole room right now if you wanted to. But what's on there? There's a, there's a little bubble, and inside of that bubble there's an air bubble. And what do you have to do? you got to get it in the center. And so many times in our parenting, it's off level. It's leaning one way or to the other. And if you build a house, you build a foundation on that, everything is going to be slanted. You're going to walk across your deck and slide across into the yard. When it comes to our parenting, it needs to be leveled, a level between nurture and discipline. Keep the bubble in the middle. Move from the emotional extremes to balance. Our kids don't understand that one day they can run and jump into your arms and give you a big hug at the end of the day, and the next day they run to jump into your arms and you're not interested. There's no way to process that. It doesn't matter what you went through that day or what work looked like that day, or moms as you're at home, or dads if you're at home. The day that you're having there, they cannot process that. Can you keep that closer to being in balance? I know I need to. Become a student of your children's heart. Our job is to connect to the heart of a child so that they can connect to the heart of God. Can you get past the behaviors and get towards the heart issues? that are there. You know your children better than anyone else in this room. Do you know how to get to their heart? Do you know how to read what is going on in their hearts and in their lives? If you're from that category where you don't have any children in the home right now, are you teaching, developing, are you learning from others? This is how you get to the heart issues. This is how, when my son was in that situation, this is how I got through to him. That's invaluable to parents who are in the season that that I'm in. This is how you do that. This is how I did it. This is how it's been demonstrated. The gospel motivates children to honoring obedience. The gospel motivates fathers or parents to grace-based leadership. The gospel motivates employees to enthusiastic service. Remember, I promised at the beginning there would be something for each of us, right? I said, remember if you're not a parent, if you don't have any kids this morning, uh, that we were going to get there. So here we go. You ready? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Whoa. All right, slaves. See, <laughs> this passage just gets more and more unpolitically correct as we go through it. So we've got to deal with some of these things and talk about what's going on there. Uh, again, maybe someone else with way more experience should be preaching this. Actually, historically, here at Randall, uh, when we talk about slavery, uh, I'm learning this as we're going through our DNA membership class. If you've never been there, you can come and learn this too. Uh, that Randall, when it was uh, put together, was it first started as the Amherst Baptist Society in 1826. And as the church grew uh, in the 1850s, you could not be a member of this congregation if you were a slave owner or if you were in favor of slavery. And in... The Civil War, when it broke out, William Randall uh, and deacons and elders from the church went and fought to defend that at Gettysburg. And he was injured there at Gettysburg. That is not what killed him. He didn't die there, but later he died from the wounds that he received at Gettysburg. And his wife later, who came from a well-to-do family, uh, gave a donation in his name afterwards, which is where the term Randall Church came out of. They changed the name to it in honoring of this man who had fought Uh, to defend what he believed in. Now, Paul is writing in a different context. He's not writing in the same slavery. When we see slavery here, uh, it's not exactly the same as what we recognize. The existence of slavery in his context is an established fact. We know that that's not the case today. Uh, and in reality, the slaves of his time were more of an indentured servant uh, than what we think of as slavery, but it is still not good. It is still a system, and it's, an, it's not a system that is healthy, but it's an equitable system. It's an economic system. And so you may ask, you say, Paul, uh, to use our modern day, if you see something, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you go after this? Why didn't you deal with this? Haven't you ever heard of the Underground Railroad? Paul, you could have started that then, like things could have been different. but. He will, and there's other places uh, specifically in 1 Corinthians he deals with that. But he's not addressing the social system. He's acknowledging the reality. Right or wrong, it's right there in front of him. He's acknowledging it and telling you about God's purposes for you, the Christian, even when you're in a massively unjust system. The rules don't change if culture changes, is what he's pointing out. Uh, Christianity should be bigger than that. Check this out. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know what the Lord, that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you are slave or free. Here's what he's saying, God uses our work relationships to teach us to work excellently for him. We have to bring this to our modern day. Here's how it's relevant to you and to me. Many of you are in jobs where you say that your boss is a jerk. Uh, How many of you would agree with that? Would you say amen to that, that your boss is a jerk? Uh, Hopefully he's not here this morning. If he's not, then you can say that. Some of you are dealing with difficult situations, but none of you is a slave. You should, if you are, we should report that this morning. None of you is a slave. That's not the, the backdrop that we're coming from. But many of your bosses are often referred to as slave owners or the, the, the slave driver. or Like that. that's the work environment that you live in. Uh, but for them, that's not a metaphor. This is actually the world that they live in. It's, it's an unjust situation. And this is even there, even in that situation, Paul is saying, live your life for God. Work with excellence, enthusiasm in that situation. He says, even in the unjust relationship, you do your work for God, not for men. One of the things that's apparent from the life of Jesus is that no matter who Jesus was standing in front of, Jesus was responding to God, not to the people he was standing in front of. He answered to a higher power. He would say things about that. He would, he would when he was in front of Pilate, he he'd submitted to Pilate, yes, but he talked about his father that he was going to submit to. You know, that person is unfair and unjust. You always do your work before God. Paul, or excuse me, Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek was what you would do. You never hear an MMA fighter talking about, okay, you know how you really get him. You, you take him in the cheek. You don't, because the cheek, turning the other cheek was more about a relational connection. That was a, a broken relationship. If you turned the cheek, that meant that if you were slapped in the face, that was a relational breaking. It wasn't a physical thing. And so the relationship was broken. And so the unfairness that he's talking about, uh, that Jesus was talking about, how Paul is talking about, here's a broken relationship between two people. And yes, if it was all messed up and slavery was a was situation you're in, he says, still, you work for God and not for men. So what is my motivation for obedience and key relationships? The gospel motivates employees to enthusiastic service. The gospel motivates, lastly, bosses to healthy environments. Motivates a boss to a healthy environment. Verse 9, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism in him. See, this is where everything changes. You're in a situation, maybe many of you in this room, where you've been given the power. Think of how God uses his power to serve you and treat others that way. God laid his life down for you. Are you willing to lay down some things for those who you have power over. He laid his life down for you. Even as the boss, you are a servant. You are to be obedient. You are to look at your job as being to one that can promote and empower others to serve them, to lift them up, and to look for opportunities to forgive them and motivate them to do better. That's where things change. You see, we are called to... Gospel obedience. Now this is a term I'm trying to put two words together. We are called to gospel obedience. What do I mean by that? All of your relationships are given to you to teach you about God. We opened up with that song that some of you sang along with me. But the lyrics of it are so true. Listen to it. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe doing exactly what the Lord commands and doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it obediently and joy you'll receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. See, gospel obedience... It's a choice to live things out. And we see it other times we would call that submission. If you look at this passage, you'd see mutual submission. But obedience, gospel obedience says, I'm not obeying because I have to. I'm obeying because there's a bigger thing at play here. I'm obeying because the gospel has transformed my life. And I, I see obedience as the very best way to demonstrate that. Do you see that? Even in the most mundane tasks. Is a way to serve Him and to be like Him and to know Him. It gives you a purpose in everything. And you might ask, you say, Milo, do you actually live this out? Sometimes. <laughs> um, last week, uh, we, we preached on marriage. We talked through that. And, and Aaron asked me early in the week, are you preaching on marriage this week? Why do you think she would do that? Because maybe I was acting a little bit more like what I was studying this week. Maybe I was acting a little bit more like a husband who loves and respects his wife. Two nights ago, she said, oh, uh, you're preaching on parenting, aren't you, on Sunday? I'm going to pray for you. Do you know why that's there? You see, we we think that we understand a separation between the sacred and the spiritual. That there's some type of division between the two, that as we grow closer to God that, you know, it actually goes across both. Paul is saying here, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. It's all connected together. These relationships matter, and, and obedience is the very best way to demonstrate that. But yes, it all is connected. And we get this idea that, well, I'm, I'm dealing with things on the sacred side of things, and then I'm dealing with things uh, in the secular. It's a mistake. And the world even understands that. Right now, in the middle of a heated election, and I'm not getting into any of the details of that, necessarily, but both Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, are trying to do this. They are trying to separate the personal from the professional. And as we're watching, as we're watching, it all kind of come unraveled in front of us. You look at it and you go, wait, you can't separate those two. In the same way, you and I, we can't separate those. You say, well, that happened in my personal life. It's not going to affect how, how in my public life, how this is going to work. Oh, that happens in my secular world what's going on in the spiritual world, I'm still good with God. No, no you're not. That relationship needs to be the same. If we're going to understand the principle of gospel obedience, we need that. It's, it's implied towards the health and the, the body of Christ, the unity in the body of Christ. That's why we called this series, We Are Better Together. If we are a place, if we are a church, if we are a gathering of believers who understand what it looks like for husbands and wives to love and respect and take care of one another as we looked at last week, or if we are going to be a place, we are better together if we are parents who are taking care of their children uh, and they are not exasperating their children. If we are children who honor our parents, whatever their age are, we are better together if we are doing that. If we have a relationship between the boss and the employee, uh, that is a healthy one, that's an that is good to work in and that is what speaks to who you are and who I am and who we are as a church we are better in that together that's what unity of the body of Christ is about we are all new creations we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit members of one another dearly loved children of God who he calls and expects us to live as his children children of light As the band comes up, we're trying to draw the picture, a beautiful picture of as it lives out, the watching world can see this image, this picture of what what is supposed to be demonstrated. It speaks out to the watching world of what God intended for this to be, what he's done for us, to put their faith and to trust in Jesus and all of his glory. The pressing question is, do you know this God? Do you connect with this, the God that created this passion for change, the God who has a better than any other earthly thing that we could come together with, that there's a better reality than what you have in front of you, that there is a better way. Do you connect to God in that way, a God who gives you a purpose for every single part of your life? A God that's always been there and is the real answer to the questions that you've been asking. We're talking about being better together. If we miss that to say this is not something that is only, this is something that can be yours and mine. Famous verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. as whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. By choosing to believe in Jesus Christ, you are welcomed into what I'm trying to demonstrate is the relationship that is, that is formed in the body of Christ when we live out this life that He has called us to live. Do you know Him today? Dear Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning, as we deal with parenting and the, the idea of parents. Being obedient to their children, or the idea of an employee who's miserable to work with, or an employer who's miserable. We're not talking about things that would exemplify the body of Christ. Now, you've laid out a better way. Your scripture demonstrates for us what it would look like to have these key relationships be motivated by gospel obedience. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that would say, I, I, don't, I don't live in that world. Who is this Jesus? I pray that this would motivate them to talk to me in the back afterwards or fill out a connection card to be able to start that relationship. For those of who already know you, Lord, they're looking at their parenting, they're looking at their home, and they're saying, you know what, this... This passage does not demonstrate or emulate what is happening in my house. I pray, Lord, that they would jot some steps down. Would you jot some steps down this morning that are specific to you? Some may say, I need to do family devotions every night. Some of you may need to get to the point where you say, "I, I need to read one verse of scripture this week. I'm going to take a step closer. Closer to what you've got for me in my marriage, in my home, in my work. I pray, Lord, that you would convict hearts this morning, that there would be action steps to be taken. Action is the key. Do it obediently. Lord, there are some steps that need to be taken today. Lord, give us the courage to be obedient. We are better together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing together?